Good morning, Journey. Welcome. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. This week I was actually on the phone with one of our daughters. We have eight, um, so there's a lot of conversations that happen during the week. When they say that women have a lot of words, they do. Multiply that times eight. But I was on a uh, phone call with one of my daughters this week, and <clears throat> we were talking about late-night crisis, um, young adult emergencies, things like that, and I said, you know, everybody knows how to dial 911. And she goes, you are our 911. So to all of my fellow 911 operators out there, I just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. We want to celebrate you and honor you this morning. We want to honor you for the late-night feedings and the diaper change. We want to honor you for the multiple trips to the ballpark. We want to honor you for the PTA meetings, for that last-minute school project that, Mom, we know you earned that A on. We want to honor you for the prom, and we want to honor you for the wedding advice, marriage advice, parenting advice, and letting us raid pantries even long after we've moved out. No matter what stage you are as a mom, we just want to say thank you because your gift to your children is your presence, and that deserves to be honored today. So thank you. Today I would like to talk to you about what it's like to have a lot under our care. And as moms and as parents, we often feel that, that we have a lot under our care, a lot that we're responsible for. And it's easy to let those responsibilities overwhelm us or let the burdens that we carry feel too heavy for us. And I want to talk today, I'm a mom, so I speak from the perspective of a mom, but I think this applies to all of us in this room, that we can sometimes get weighed down with things under our care and forget to rest in the fact that even with all we hold, we're still sheep in need of a shepherd. So I titled today's message, Under His Care. And we're going to be reading today from Psalm 23. So I'm going to be walking through this scripture one verse at a time. It's probably one of David's most famous scriptures. We all know it. Um, I'm going to be, it's going to be on the screen. You can follow along with me in the Bible, but I don't think most of us need help with verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If we can walk into any Hobby Lobby, maybe not today because they're closed, um, but any Hobby Lobby, you're going to find something with this scripture on on it and it's certainly inspirational but the thing we focus on the most is the I shall not want part of it and and all of us have been there myself including included even multiple times as I've gone through my journey of faith of being at that place where I think God if all your promises are true if everything I'm reading is true why am I going through blank it could be a parenting crisis, it could be a health crisis, it could be a job crisis. It could just simply be that I'm discontent in that moment. But why do I have to go through blank? Because I shall not want, is what your word says. I had the privilege last year of traveling to Israel. And one of the days that we were there, we drove through and stopped in the Judean wilderness. Now, I didn't realize until I got there how wrong my view of the wilderness 
or green pastures was. Because I think from a perspective of, I'm born in Kentucky, lived in Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina. All of my life, this landscape that we live in is what I know. Green pastures to me are the fields I drive by full of cows and goats and whatever. Wilderness to me is tall trees full of underbrush that you can't really navigate around. I mean, how could you get lost in anything else? Well, I was wrong. We stepped out of our bus onto this mountainside that was the brownest, rockiest, and most treacherous terrain that I had ever seen. And as far as my eyes could see, it was brown and mountainy, and there was very little else. For, for us, we had the opportunity of standing on that mountainside, and I could see one patch of abundant green, literally as far as my eyes could see. I have a video. So this is me. I'm taking this video. I didn't think I was going to show it, so obviously excuse the camera skills. But you can see, as far as the eyes can see, it is brown and rocky terrain. And as we were standing there on this hillside, we heard bells. And God in his divine providence blessed us with the opportunity to watch a shepherd bring his flock down the mountainside to this only patch of abundant green that we could see. I have another video up close of the flock once he got it settled on the mountainside. And you, it went by fast, but there's a stream of water coming out of that mountainside. Now, I don't know how long it took that shepherd to get that flock to that place. It had to have taken a long time because I could see nothing else. So I know that those sheep arrived hungry and tired and thirsty. But as I watched them, they just simply followed their shepherd. And it didn't matter how long it took them to get there. I didn't hear them grumbling along the way. But isn't that what we do along the way? We, we grumble and we wonder and we ask God questions. You see, there's a difference between having wants and wanting. Those sheep had wants that day in the wilderness. I'm sure they were hungry. I'm sure they were tired. I'm sure they were thirsty. I'm sure they felt all of those things. But the difference between having a want and, ha and wanting is trusting the shepherd to meet the need that we feel or obsessing over our own ability to meet our own needs. And we can all do that sometimes. I love this verse in Philippians where Paul writes, Philippians 4, 12, and 13, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to both be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not that we're not going to fill the needs that we have in life. It's that we have a great shepherd that we can trust to give us peace and provision even in the midst 
of that. But have you ever really stopped to consider who this great shepherd is and what it means that he's the great shepherd? Well, first of all, I'll tell you that it does mean that we're sheep. You know, I do wish the Bible had called us something different. You know, maybe lions, you know, kings and queens of the jungle. Maybe giraffes even. We could see what's out in front of us. Maybe a Rottweiler or a pit bull ferocious and able to defend ourselves but no jesus called the sheep the bible calls the sheep arguably the most needy vulnerable and non-self-sufficient animal in god's green king god's green earth that's what he calls us but you know what that's the most freeing part of psalm 23 for me is it reminds me that I am a sheep. I am vulnerable. I'm not as self-sufficient as I like to think that I am. And I do need a shepherd to lead and guide me. The second thing in this first verse is the word is. In my Bible, it's italicized. It's the present tense. He is with us. He's here. And whatever your moment is today, he is. He's here. Whatever that moment is out there tomorrow that you don't see coming, he is. He's present, and he's with you. But most importantly, the word Lord in my Bible is all caps. And they do that to indicate that it's a substitute for the word Jehovah. Because in ancient Hebrew, and even, in to, even today, they won't speak that name because it's too holy to utter. So it's substituted as Lord. But that word means Jehovah, the existing one. Jehovah, the I am that I am. See, it's three tenses of the verb to be. All in one word, it means I was, I am, and I will be. All in one. See, unlike us, we use three different tenses in different words. I was, I am, and I will be. Jehovah, our great shepherd, is simply I am, I am, I am. And he is with us. God is referred to as Lord in this context over 350 times in just the book of Numbers, 6,000 times throughout the Bible. And this is the Jehovah, my shepherd, the all-present one, the one that exists outside of time, the one that knows my end from my beginning, the one that goes before us, and even as we're walking through the desert without sustenance in sight, he knows where he's leading us. You see, in ancient Hebrew, names meant something, not just the name of God, but you read all throughout the Bible that they took great care with names. Our daughter is, pre one of our daughters is pregnant, about to have our fifth grandchild. Uh, many of you do know Kristen and Paul. They go here to journey. And I've watched them as they've considered what to name the baby. And I've watched as they've considered 
not just what the name means, like Google it, what does this name mean? But what is our family's story? And what are the generational blessings that could come through a name that they want to impart? That's the importance of a name. And let me give you just a few more of God's name that's used in the Bible. First, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord, our healer. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is our banner. I love this one. It's one of my favorite names of God, and here's why. Uh, back in conquering kingdoms times, the kings and all of their armies, when they rode in, whether it was to war or just to visit another kingdom, they rode in with banners before them. And that banner declared who it was and their identity. And that's who God is for us. That's who Jehovah is. I ride into life with the banner of God over my life, that my identity is in him. My victory is assured in him. There is nothing that he can't conquer on my behalf as long as I stay behind the banner and know who I am. Which brings us to the next verse. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I look back on my life, and I think, how did I get here? Like, all the things that God led me to in my life. At 16 years old, June 1st, 1989, I started a job at Walmart. I walked in that day, and I met a boy who is still my best friend and husband today. And everything changed for me. And in all the years since, everything from the jobs that I've done to in a six-year period going from being parents of one daughter to eight, it's been a series of obedient yeses along the way that the Lord has led me to. And I, when I say I've done everything, I mean I've literally done just about everything. And I look back and I think, God, it's amazing the places that you've led me. I've been a cashier at Arby's. <laughs> Obviously, we all know I started at Walmart. And I've been a librarian. Ask me about the Dewey Decimal System. I have had the opportunity to be a corporate executive. I walked the red carpet at a music award and walked right in, and God, you know, he was gracious to me in that moment that I might get too prideful. So I walked in, tripped <laughs> over a carpet, and was caught by Gladys Knight. True story. Most embarrassing moment of my life. But he's given me the opportunity to do all of these things in my life that have led me to today leading a nonprofit that works with young adults aging out of foster care. And everything from my corporate executive experience that helps me run it as a business to my music industry experience that helps me relate to the young people that we serve who all want to be a famous artist one day, and I'm able to say to them, hey, look, it's a business. I need you to go get a business degree because when, those, when that recording contract comes, you need to be able to read it and not let that label take advantage of. 
all of those things come into play. But I look back on that life and I think, man, if I could go back to that 16-year-old at Register 4 at Walmart, I'd tell her some things about having peace in the storm and trusting God along the way. It's easy for me to tell you all of that in a 30-second moment, but along that way, there was excruciating heartbreak. There were moments in parenting I didn't think I could get up the next morning because our girls were in such crisis. There were moments in jobs that I hated and thought, Lord, why are you keeping me here? I could be so much more used to your kingdom doing something else like why am I pushing this paper but here's what I'll tell you God gave me manna in every moment not an ounce more than I needed and not enough for tomorrow I needed to go back to him and get it tomorrow but he met me every step of the way and I'll never forget watching that shepherd lead his flock. There were hundreds. You couldn't even see because so many of them were actually in the green bristles and stuff. There were hundreds and one shepherd. It was, it was phenomenal. But as I watched these dirty sheep following this shepherd down this mountainside, we were standing around. We were the only people around that you could see. And not one of them looked to our, looked to our direction and got distracted. They followed their shepherd and God humbled me in that moment and helping me to realize that that is me that I'm I am not self-sufficient I don't have this I need him to lead me to the green pastures in the middle of my desert I need him to show me the still waters in my life and since it's Mother's Day um, I'll say this to you, Mom. He's given you your children to shepherd on this earth. He's given you some dominion and domain in that area. But you can never lose sight of the fact that he is their good shepherd as well. And so many times as moms, I know for me, I felt the pressure of I have to make sure these kids grow up and become productive members of society, serving the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul, doing all of the things, right? And any time my kids got off that path, I felt like, oh, what have I not done? <laughs> but that's not the truth. As an under-shepherd with the Lord, my job was mainly just to keep them alive and point them to Him. Because as I look at my kids' journeys as young adult women now, their lives are going in paths that I wouldn't have chosen for them. But God is being able to use those things with purposes that are going to blow my mind and already are for most of my girls. Because he is their shepherd. I'm just his partner in this journey of life. We're always in a hurry to have it all, to get it all, to do it all. But sometimes we just need to slow down and follow. Listen for the sound of the bells. Follow the shepherd. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, He who runs before the clouds 
runs on a fool's errand and will have to come back and start again. You see, when God led Israel through the same wilderness where I was standing, he led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But we want to get out in front of the cloud. And I don't know about you, but I've done that enough in life that I know I've had to restart too many journeys. If I can, I'm going to try to stay behind the cloud. Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We often get off course as we're following the shepherd. We may see a patch of grass over here and be like, man, I'm really hungry. And that looks really good. Let me go over there. I'll catch up with the flock in a minute. And then we look up and the flock is gone. Now, he does say he'll leave the 99, and he'll come back and get me, and he'll pick me back up. He'll, he'll take my feet out of the miry clay and set them on the rock. He'll give me beauty for the ashes of these moments. But this is how he restores my soul. He brings me back from my wayward moments. He brings me back from my heartbreaking moments, and he sits me down amidst the flock and says, it's okay. Peace and provision are yours in me. One of the other things that you'll notice in the Judean wilderness are these little paths that line all of the mountains. You see them as you're driving through. It just looks like somebody took a marker and just rode around the mountain. They go in circles. What I found out as we were there with the locals is those paths are known as paths of righteousness. And they're the well-trodden paths that shepherds who know the way to provision have led their flocks over and over and over because it's the safe path and keeps the flock from going to the right or to the left, falling and getting injured or getting lost. I have a picture. You might not be able to see it, but if you see the green, you see these two little paths that lead into the top of that abundant green. Those are paths of righteousness. And that's what David is saying. That's what our shepherd is saying. Like, stay on the path. I know it's tempting to go over that direction. I promise I'm taking you somewhere. And sometimes these shepherds have to lead their flock around the mountain. How many times have we been there in our life? We're just like, Lord, how much more? But he's like, just, just trust me. Stick with me. Matthew 7, 14 says, But small is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to life and few find it. And that's what's being referenced. Our good shepherd leads us on paths of righteousness. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know if you caught the transition that we just made in the song, but David has gone from talking about God to talking to him. That you are with me that I trust you. See, David knew something that we don't because we've not been shepherds. David knew that there were times for him to get his flock to safety, 
that he had to take them through the valley of the shadow of death. That he had to guide his entire flock through dangerous territory in order to get them to provision. You see, killing Goliath didn't start because David showed up on a battlefield one day. Killing Goliath happened as David led his flock to safety and peace to lie down at rest while their shepherd took out the lion on their behalf. And we forget as we face our Goliaths out there that God has already led us through or is leading us through the valley of the shadow of death in preparation because he's preparing us. But he's our good shepherd and he's on duty and he knows that we're surrounded in our enemies. Which brings us to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I've never owned sheep, but I do own chickens. We've got about 45 chickens. And I would venture a guess that second to sheep, chickens may be the, some of the most vulnerable critters on the planet. There are multiple ways that they try to unalive themselves on the daily. But also there's multiple predators. And as good chicken keepers, we know that there are coyote and fox and hawks and owls and raccoons who would love nothing more than the feast on some of our favorite hens. So we have fencing, we have safe coops, and we have two livestock guardian dogs, Max and Mocha, that keep our chickens safe. That is our responsibility as the shepherd of this little chicken flock. And we'll go out and we feed them and we make sure that there's grass and things for them to feast on. There's been times that I've stood at my kitchen window and I've watched our chickens enjoying the table that we've set before them, scratching and pecking and just going about their life. And I see our dogs and I see them focused on a tree. And there's a hawk in the tree who's waiting for its next meal. That's what it means that he's prepared a table for us in the midst of our enemies. See, God is not unaware that we have an enemy who wants to still kill and destroy us. And there's no shortage of ways that he would take us out in any moment. But God prepares a table of blessing for us, a, a table of provision, a table of peace in the midst of our enemies. And then the shepherd, as he lays his sheep down, he takes the oil and he covers their head. And he does this to prevent the bugs and the pestilence from disturbing them. And that's what God's word does for us. It is the oil of anointing that he pours on us to protect us in our minds, our bodies, and our souls. Finally, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this last verse. Like, love, love, love it. And the reason is because it's the crux of the entire issue, perspective. 
that David understood that regardless of what is going on in this life, this life is but a speck of sand. It is but a glimmer. We are here one day and in eternity in the presence of our good shepherd, the next. See, I spent some time years ago in Sierra Leone, Africa, right after the, the war. I was over there three different times. The first time I went was literally the year the war ended. Um, and we were under armed guard the entire time because you could almost feel like a pin would drop and everything would start again. Charles Taylor at that time was imprisoned in, Sierra, in Freetown. So it was a very rocky time, and I felt extremely uncomfortable much of the time that I was over there for 10 days. But I had a strength to endure it, the discomfort, the fact that um, I had never been in an environment like this, the fact that the beds I was sleeping in were not comfortable, the fact that the mosquitoes were the size of my Great Pyrenees. Um, all of these things, I was uncomfortable. But I could endure it because I knew I was going home. That's what this earth is. That's what this life is. We're foreigners and aliens on this earth. Those burdens that we carry, those responsibilities that overwhelm us, those things that we worry about are nothing compared to the glory of heaven where there's a home waiting for us in the presence of our Father, our great shepherd. And David understood this. And Jesus brought us this perspective as well in John 16, when he said, I've told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We've got a banner that's before us, and it is the ultimate victory. And everything, one day, we will lay it all down and stand before our great shepherd. And all he asks of us is to listen for the bells and to follow him on paths of righteousness. And as shepherds of our own flocks, I, I just want to remind you to keep it all in perspective and to know that your good shepherd loves you. And I'm going to close by reading Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it out of the message version because I love it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. I'm going to add parenting into this list, the Pam paraphrase. You're parenting, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to open your word, and to hear from your spirit. Lord, I ask that you bless everyone in the room, and today specifically the moms, with the weights that we carry, 
with the worries that overcome us. We ask, Lord, that you would come alongside us and help us to put that into your hands. We acknowledge that you are our good shepherd, and you lead us in paths of righteousness. Lord, help us today to steady ourselves in your presence. Because of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.